So, hey, welcome back, everybody. It's been a little while since we talked to you last. I'm finally back here with my good friend, Chansey. A lot has happened since the last time we saw y'all. It has. Good morning, Brad. Happy to be here. Good morning, everybody. Hope y'all can tune in and happy to be back. A lot has happened. We've had some cold snaps. Man, we've had Christmas, New Year's Eve, lots of cold weather. Yeah, we Lots ended of deer on hunting. reindeer. We ended on reindeer we, last time for Christmas. And, we did. Did you yeah. see any? No, I didn't see any. And I went hunting just last week in Bandera, but no reindeer. Not one reindeer. Not a single reindeer. Golly, Santa needs to let those guys have a vacation every now and again. I guess so. Maybe he's got them resting. They got the rest of the year off. <laughs> yeah. And hey, maybe they're breeding right now. Possibly so. <laughs> so, so we're back. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. We're going to talk about the reproduction of white-tailed deer. And another thing that I guess we should mention is the weather around here locally in Central Texas. We're in the middle of Texas once again, and it has been pretty cold we here. We had our first good cold snap, man. And the, uh, believe it or not, I think we had our warmest December on record, or one of the warmest Decembers on record. Yes, I think it was the warmest December on record as far as for our area, Central Texas. Christmas here was 85 degrees or something like yes. that, 82. I don't remember the exact temperature, but man, it was hot. We were in shorts and t-shirts. Of course, you had your diehard Christmas people that still had their Christmas sweaters yeah. on and all. <laughs> 85 degrees. I think my wife was one of those. You know, she got all dressed up in her pretty in her sweaters and all that kind of stuff. And my daughter and me and my sons were in T-shirts and <laughs> I had shorts. And I think one of my kids had shorts on, if I'm not mistaken. But. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, we had ours outside. You know, and at my uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law's, as always, beautiful weather. But, golly, I don't, I don't ever remember a Christmas being that warm oh my gosh well, it, so christmas was warm and then by new year's eve it was freezing cold mm -hmm. a week later and it was a complete change and it got so cold as a matter of fact that a lot of our cool season grasses around here like our rye grasses uh wheat oats took a beating man oh yeah you just drive around and look even yeah you said wheat and oats you know it's cold when they get bit that hard and i was starting to worry about weeds coming up in the yard because there was so many weeds coming up just everywhere like sow thistles and sonchuses and that cold snap man it knocked it back my yard looks good now there's not hardly, <laughs> hardly any weeds coming up in it but they will be coming well thankfully because you can't hardly buy roundup right now <laughs> no yeah it costs you an arm and a leg it would cost you an arm and a leg for for any kind of glyphosate product so thankfully yeah, it doubled i think last year when i was for last summer i bought you know the two and a half gallon jugs that you get you know the farm just 41 percent glyphosate i was paying around 50 bucks for for a two and a half for gallon a two and jug half gallon it's doubled by now hasn't it? We, is, i haven't bought any since last fall we were selling generic glyphosate mm -hmm. generic roundup for like you said 41 percent uh four pounds per per a gallon of active ingredient for $46 a yeah, jug, I think, 50. in the middle of summer. Yeah. And now I think it costs us $65 a gallon, if you could find it. But we, you can't even find it right now. Wow. I, I don't know what to blame the shortage on. Everybody blames shortages on everything right now for every single thing you could possibly think of. But Yeah, why would that be a shortage for that? That's probably our in agriculture. That's got to be one of the most used well, and chemicals what's, that we have that we use. And this is kind of off of today's topic, but now since you mentioned it, like, I'm going to pay extra money for a Roundup-ready variety of corn that I'm going to plant that I'm expecting to spray Roundup over to control the weeds. And I may not even be able to find the Roundup from the people who are selling the technology, being Monsanto and the, the BT corn that you could spray the Roundup on whenever. Why would I pay extra for that corn seed when I can't even buy Roundup to spray over top of it? Well, I'm sure when it's time to spray Roundup, you might have to pay through the teeth to get it, but I bet you it'll be available then. You're just they're going to make you pay whatever... 
Well, Chancey, yeah. you got to pay through the teeth for hamburgers. You got to pay through the teeth for a car. You got to pay through the teeth for Inflation, anything you buy nowadays. Sure is. Yeah, I don't. I mean, there's not much that's not inflated right now. <laughs> that that's so off of the point. Yes, it is. <laughs> we were supposed to be talking about reproduction. Today. So reproduction of deer. <laughs> let's let's maybe get started talking about that a little bit here to continue our series here about the white-tailed white deer. deer. So where are we right now, Chancey, with these deer? Where are these Where are these does at that they're still breeding? Well, they can still be, but hunting season's over, you know, huh? or in Central Texas anyway, in Milam County. Now it's still extended in MLDPs if you're on certain things, and I'm sure, you know, it's still going in the southeastern places. But in our neck of the woods, hunting season's over, you know, unless you're on a special program. Hopefully, most if your sex ratios are good. Hopefully, most of your does are bred. Hopefully, so. You may have, if you've got really, really good quality habitat, you may have some fawns that come in. It's very rare, but good, good quality habitat, highly nutrition. You know, a fawn can come in to estrus on their first year. And while we're there talking, um, before I guess we go on too much further, Brad, I, I kind of want to talk about fawns and yearlings and one-and-a-half-year-old deer and stuff like that, just so as we're talking, people will understand you know what I mean when I say fawn or yearling. Yeah, because you very rarely hear of a year and a half old deer or a two and a half year old deer. Well, I mean, we talk about half years all the time for deer, and I've had people ask me when giving presentation, well, why do we talk about half years? Why don't we just call it a five year old or a two year old? And the answer is because most of the time when we're looking at deer, it's in the fall time. You know, that's when we start studying, it's when we start putting trail cameras out, that's when we're hunting them, when we're observing the most is in the fall time and since for the most part where we hunt fawns are born in the spring and summer say may june around here right and then we're looking at them when they're half a year old when we yeah, have another half so if that fawn was born last year may june this year it was 12 months old in may june now it's 18 months old but so it, that's why we call it a yearling or one and a half and when i say yearling i'm talking about a one and a half year old deer an 18 month old deer this year so a year, when I say yearling, I'm talking about last year's phone. When I say phone, I'm talking about this year's baby. So, I, Well, you see a Facebook post or somebody comes in the feed store, they have a deer in the back. It's never, this is a five-and-a-half-year-old deer. They always say this is a, you know, it's like a four-year-old deer. But in actuality, they are well, four-and-a-half, five-and-a-half. And most of the stuff you're reading, and when they're talking about aging deer on the hoof, they're always in half years. When you talk about aging deer on the hoof, it's they're always saying four and a half, five and a half sure. because you're aging them when he's got antlers on, you know, and hard antler theoretically. Uh huh. But um, you know, when they're born, they're in velvet. Correct, because they weren't born last hunting season. No, they were born in between. Yeah, and so that that's oh, where the half that's and, where the half a year comes from. Yes, in mm-hmm. our temperate climates, anyway. The further south you get, cl- closer to the equator, you know, the seasons are and ruts and everything's just screwed up down there. It's not, but as you go temperate and north it gets narrower and and wider the further south you go okay so once more when you mention a fawn you're talking about a six month old deer a six so month a old deer fawn or doe fawn it was born this past summer spring mm-hmm. makes sense yeah and like, so so i guess let's talk about how we get to that point sure well through reproduction reproduction and that's what we're going to be talking about today a lot of reproduction and um with that i guess we just need to start let's say the breeding strategy of a white-tailed deer they're they're serial polygamous basically what that means is one buck can breed many many does it can if he's lucky if he's lucky if he's lucky so they'll um they start running he can breed a lot the question is he can breed a lot but 
is he able to breed a lot? Since they're serial polygamists, there's also male-to-male combat. Males are fighting. They're trying to stand with does. How how old is a buck when he first puts his first set of antlers on? One and a half, generally, is their first hard antler. Now, a little buck phone, when they're born, after about, when a little buck phone's born, he's got two little teeny tiny swirls on top of his head of hair. And that's where his future antler growth is going to take place. And we'll talk about this. I think we need to have a discussion about the antler cycle, too. But then, he, you know, after about four months old, he gets little knobs on the top of his head. And you heard us say button bucks. Right. You know, button bucks. And that's, you know, usually a buck fawn will have little nubs, you know, especially while we're hunting them. But then he won't put on really his first set of hard antlers until he's one and a half years old. So, in general, 99% of the time... If he's got hard antlers, he's a one-and-a-half-year-old deer at least. And, you know, what's weird to think about with that being said is that if a deer doesn't have antlers, he couldn't breed anything if he wanted to, even a mature buck. Yeah, no, so. No antlers, no breeding. Yeah, I mean, it's tied to photo period, their antlers, but um, everything I read, you know, deer can start breeding as soon as they shed their velvet. They lose their velvet, they get in hard antlers, then they're viral. Around what time of the year is that here? That's late September, usually. I mean, you know, they're usually done growing by the middle of August, you know. And uh, then they'll shed their velvet, and they can shed all their velvet, you know, in, say, a 24-hour period, one day. strip. Most of the time, they rub it on brush to get it off. But everything that we know about, that's tied to photo period, and so is the estrus, which we'll get into, which makes deer come into cycle. There's also a lot of environmental factors, too, as far as hormone levels and testosterone and estrogen and everything that's working together sure, to and, do that. And by photo period is what we're talking about. We're talking about day length. Yeah, the amount of day length, or some people say the amount of darkness, which is the same thing. <laughs> same know? thing, yeah, yes. same thing. Uh, Have they ever done a study with this? Of course, we'll talk about this day length here yes, a little more. Yes, it's just like growing a florist, you know, how the florist manipulate the amount of darkness. Could they, have they have they done a study with deer like that, yeah, like, like a, change the day length to see if they'll keep their antlers for yes. a longer period of time? Yes, you can make a buck grow three antlers and it sets the antlers in a year. It's very rigorous and demanding on the deer. Absolutely. Wow. I've read in labs they've manipulated the thing, and you can make one because in about 100 days, a deer can grow. You know, I mean, heck, elk and moose can grow 35, 45 pounds of antlers in 100 days, basically. It's fastest, one of the fastest growing tissues. But so, yes, back on target, we can manipulate. I've read that they, they've manipulated the amount of hours. And you can make that buck grow three sets in a year. That's in, that's something yeah, to think about. Talk about how hard it is on that animal, though. You know. Well, and then you go to a different parts, like closer to the equator, where the where the day link doesn't change as much yeah. as it changes here. Yeah, and and there they drop at different times. They shed antlers that you know you might have deer in velvet. You may have some in hard antlers. The breeding season can last year round down there. So it's one hundred percent tied to photo period. We know that, but like I also said, there's a lot of environmental hormonal stuff that takes into place too you know as far as the exact timing yes of, of when they decide to cycle the does doe and the and the buck do they are they are they are they tied together pretty closely with I the th- date with coming into i think so i i think that's the way they were created and they kind of designed that way so like you know say end of hunting season in the early spring the day starts getting longer that's generally makes the bucks stop producing as much testosterone when the day gets I, longer. Yeah, when the day starts getting longer in the spring, stop producing testosterone, they generally shed their antlers. They can't breed anymore. I'm sure that's triggering the does as well to no longer come in estrus. Same thing, the next following fall, days start getting shorter. 
bucks start producing more testosterone and then their antlers and everything, and I'm sure the does are following along with estrus and their ovaries and everything else as far as them getting ready to go into cycle. You know, now they may not be stand and heat ready, but that's when you start seeing little bucks running around, your yearlings running around, you know, getting excited. The smells are changing, so it's all seasoning. So I think it's 100% tied together, no doubt about it. I mean, the males and the females is why we got breeding seasons. Sure. They and, both got to work together. And, you know, back to the male-to-male combat, like that's where the little young bucks probably are at a disadvantage. For the most part, you think so. Unless you got one that just there's some snaky ones. Unless you unless you ain't size of the ain't the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog kind of thing. Yeah, it's very true. So oh TP back to TPWD and some of those biologists doing great work. I think twenty years ago or something, they did a who breeds whom study, you know, where they went in there and they genetically tested all the uh males that they turned loose, you know, and had you know, varying sizes, good bucks, cold bucks, management bucks, little yearlings, whatever, just everything out there. And then let them go through a breeding cycle and then went and shot the does and then took the fetuses out and then DNA the fetuses back to the sires. It's really interesting results that I, I thought it was a great study, well put together. And what I got from it is basically if only good ones are out there, then only good ones are breeding because little ones – they can breed, maybe not as much as like a three- or a four-year-old more mature, but they can breed. So male-to-male camp, combat, those are coming into heat. Bucks will stay with that doe. So she's only in standing heat for 24 hours. Now, she may smell good for two or three days, and they're chasing her, but she won't stand for that buck. She won't. So only in that 24-hour period when she's in what they call standing heat will she allow him to breed her. And he'll breed her as many times as she will in that time period. And he will not leave her. Like, you cannot rattle him off of her. And she's standing in there. But uh, now another bigger buck could come into the picture. Yes. And so most of the time. If, is that if your buck to doe ratio is off a little bit? Well, you know, if they're really good, you want some competition. You know, uh -huh. with your ratios. You know, you want some fighting. That, it, it makes your rut better and everything. But if they're really unbalanced, that doe may come into heat and not get bred. There won't even be a bucket around. Yes, because that's why sex ratios are so vitally important. Because that doe's going to come in at one time and that the way that they cycle so i guess we'll just go right into it when she starts coming in if she doesn't get bred in that first estrus cycle she'll come in again in 21 to 29 days later yeah 21 to 29 days later she's going to come back in so the 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 first time is the rut the so rut it's not brought on by the cold weather either no no a lot of a lot of hunters think that the rut is brought on by the cold weather the first cold snap really triggers when in actuality we know it's set by photo period and a lot of other environmental factors nutrition is a big one because nutrition can delay females coming in and, and which it just so happens that not only is the, the the day length is also closely tied to the temperatures yes but most of the time when people are seeing more bucks move in cold weather and they think it triggers the rut it's just because deer are more active in cold weather sure so we're seeing them more you know they're just out moving around playing do what deer do they're just more active doesn't so much trigger it we know that's tied to that photo period and other, other cycles. So I guess back to the 21, 29-day cycle, that doe doesn't get bred in that first estrus cycle. She's come going to come back again in a month later. Mm -hmm. And so that means that gives another opportunity for a buck to breed her as, as well. And so, that could be tied, like the reason she didn't breed the first time, could be tied to buck-to-doe ratio. It could be tied to habitat. Nutrition. could be tied to space. It could be tied mm -hmm. to all those things that we talked about in the last episode. Yes, nutrition is a big one. Nutrition is a big one, but also skewed sex ratios. And we want these doe all breeding 
as many as we can this first time. Yes. So due to predation, like yeah, later they call, on, they when call the, it the predator weather effect. So basically, in, in a perfect world, it would be great to have all of your does bred in a, in a two week period. So when they come in that first estrus cycle within two weeks, all of them are bred. And the reason that's important, they call it the predator weather effect. So years or months down the road when they start having babies, if all the babies get dropped within a two-week period, guess what? The coyotes get full, and within two weeks, those little fawns are up and going with mama, and they can outrun them. You know, it's kind of like, wow, the wildebeest and the gazelles and everything, all the bovids out there drop their babies all at once. You know, the predators get full. Yes. And then they're done. But then also, most of them, because of the environmental factors, that we mentioned, I just actually think that it's amazing. The photo period, you know, the environmental factors, the climate for that particular area, those does or the cycle will tweak it to those certain areas. So so in our area, it's generally May-June is when the does are dropping. May-June. Good time for a baby to be born. It's a great time for a baby to be Hadn't born. Hadn't got hot and dry yet. Yeah. They're still playing. Like the, the spring grasses are kind of, yeah. summer grasses are in Lots full of effect. Lots of forbs out there. Lots of nutrition. High quality food out there during that time of year here. That means that she was probably bred sometime in November. You know, seven months. But if she didn't get bred, say the second estrus or the third estrus that means those babies are being born in july august and then that means Ooh, that's a problem that's a problem for nutrition that's the where they call the weather effect because it starts getting dry here yes it does it does you know that's just our season but then also hot. That means hot that also means your cover is starting to disappear Yes, fawning covers getting hot, dry, and hard you know. to find fawning cover around here in August. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially if you're you know got a good grazing plan or active grazing plan, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then also if you're having you know part of your babies in May and part of them in June and part of them in July and part of them that just means the predators never get really full. They get they can get a little bit of eating every time. You know, every every time there's a fawning season. I'm not saying it's like that. Most of your deer and most of your deer probably in our neck of the woods are bred in that first, second, or third estrus cycle. You know, probably the first and second for sure. It depends on your ratios. You well, know? not only but that. One buck can breed a lot of does, but he won't leave her. That's why I was saying he won't leave her if he's standing there, you know. And that's where fighting can come in. And back to their point about the little guy. So when those bucks are fighting, a lot of times, that's why when you rattle, deer come to antlers you know when you rattle them together i don't know if it's like you know high school fight and school but <laughs> also i think a lot of it has to do with bucks think they can get in there and probably sneak a doe yeah they're like oh man fighting over yeah there. steve yeah. and henry are fighting over there man let's go see what what yeah, uh, i might can get in there and you know so, <laughs> hey and it happens and, and there's like that who breeds whom study proves that it happens you know there's so uh, it, it the same way with cattle if you put if you have two big bulls in the pasture They'll spend a lot of time fighting each other over there, and then old the little kind of weaker bull will do a lot of breeding in that amount of time. Yes, absolutely. Same thing. Same thing with deer is what a lot of it suggests. You know, so your little young yearling buck that you don't think antler size. You know, there's a, some data that you know suggests that females kind of select pick bigger deer, but if there's none available, she'll let just about anything breed her. You know, when she's ready to stand. And that it's comes. To, that probably comes back to a good a good hunting program and a good good harvest program, I guess that we'll talk about some other yes, time. Yeah, that's a whole harvest. other thing. Is, yeah, and culling and management deer. The main thing, the main thing, absolutely critical, is we always get caught up in antlers and bucks, but we've got to remember that every single good quality buck that we look at, it was born as a little fawn, and it needed a good healthy mama, and it needed to be healthy. 
So deer season's over. Yes. And everybody's like, oh, I don't need to feed protein anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm 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 done with that. But actually, actually, like, this is when you need to start feeding. Because protein. so you could tell me this if it's same with deer as it is in cattle, but. You need uh, cattle to be at like a body condition score of five or better at calving because they're going to lose weight once they once they have a baby. They're going to nurse a baby. They're going it's going to be hard on their body. They're going to be losing weight. So the better condition score you have a a doe in, the better the the baby develops inside of her too. You know, as far as how well you feed them. Oh, absolutely! Right from now till the time of having a baby. So, so now is actually because, like we said, the They're freeze, bread. freeze yeah. around here took out a lot of the grasses, a lot of the, a lot of the forbs, a lot of the forbs, a lot of that stuff was 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 knocked back pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, if your theory is, hey, deer season's over, I don't need protein in my feeders anymore. Kind of backwards, really. Right now is the time you need to almost be starting to feed it. Oh, absolutely. Once the hunting season gets done and over with, and it's within your budget and it's within your goals, now's the time because think about it. Your bucks just got out of a rut. You know, they've been breeding. And They're run down. Run down. They haven't been eating much. Yes. They haven't been eating much. They've been running does, running does. And if your sex ratio is really skewed. They're really chasing They're does. really running does because those does that should have got bred the first estrus cycle, she didn't get bred. Now she's going to come in again. That means your bucks are going to have to, they'll be even more run down. You, but, think, you think with the more and more people we have hunting nowadays, the more and more skewed that ratio is getting? absolutely it can hunting pressure 100 percent can affect sex ratios yes that's why we as managers do spotlight lines or trail camp surveys because like i said a perfect world we won't and unbalanced sex ratios lead to all kinds of problems you know from rutting to fawning to predation to everything and even though legally they say hey here's how many deer you could kill in this county Mm-hmm. that's not necessarily a local thing. That's where guys like you come in handy. They can come yeah. to your place and say, hey, look, buddy, I know the county says this. Well, and once you I know the state says this, but. It depends on your habitat. The state sets general that exa- rules. But that's what I'm. on carrying capacity. So, so not necessarily like if I'm, if I'm in the post oak savannah as compared to the, to the Blackland area of this county, probably I shouldn't even be following the same hunting guidelines in those two places, should I? Well, yeah, I think you should leave them as a rule of. From a hunting guideline stand. Is well, I mean, obviously you can't kill more than the state of Texas no, says no, you can. But, but it goes 100% back to your quality of habitat and your carrying capacity absolutely. of your land. And also your buck-to-doe ratio. You know, so that's why people count deer every year. That's why the state of Texas does spotlight surveys and why certain private ranches do spotlight surveys and helicopter captures. That way they know, or not captures, but helicopter counts. That way they know what they're, they know what, what they call um, population dynamics. They know their buck-to-doe ratio. They know their fawn crop. You know, they know all these different things that they can use to manage a deer. They know their percentage of young, middle-aged, and mature bucks. These are all things that you need in order to manage a population. Yeah, and if you know Brad and Chancy, we kind of get distracted on other things. <laughs> yes, we do. So we that has, apologize like, for I mean, that the, the problem. Nothing. The problem is, it's a very complex story. There's a lot of factors involved in all this stuff, so it's kind of hard to stay on one thing. But but back to uh, uh, so now we've got these uh, these bucks that are they're fighting to breed these does, and the does on the other hand, the the bucks are kind of out on their own. Like you may have one buck roaming from group to group to group. Oh yeah, they're running. But then you got these these does. That are more in a matriarchal group. Yeah, yeah, like um, doe, doe phone, mother, doe phone, aunt phone, or aunt doe relationships. You know, little small matriarchal groups. Like everybody's been sitting at a deer stand or, you know, observing deer or something and see that those does are usually in small groups made up of yearlings and 
you know, one or two older does and then your fawns of that year. And if you've ever paid attention and watched deer, there's always one hooking bull mama doe, you know, that's older and she just kind of slaps the other ones around with her paws. And that's okay. keeping everybody in line. Yeah, keeping everybody in line. She's kind of the boss. And, you know, whereas bucks during growing season when they're in velvet they'll be in bachelor groups they kind of hang out in what they call bachelor groups but once they start shedding their antlers and get hard antler it's no more fun time you know they're running so that's why they talk about you know for a doe depending on carrying capacity and your habitat limiting resources their home range is smaller than a buck's because a buck's will really start roaming and going once the rut starts or once he starts seeking out once they lose their antlers do they stick with these groups of doe like right like yesterday we were loading hay tons of deer out in this this field and i guess they're still breeding here probably yeah it was, they, it was two hoping, little bucks with this group of doe yeah we're, we're we're hoping that everybody's in a perfect world we'd want everything to be bred by now but these but these bucks are still producing testosterone and sure all. as long as they're hard antlers so if a doe didn't get bred in her first cycle or her second cycle she'd come in again they could still breed her yeah and that's one of the things like we keep talking about nutrition 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 it's absolutely vitally important we've got to take care of mama and baby first always and really good quality habitat really good a good key indicator of good herd health is if your fawns your little six month old deer come in so that's one of the things that it's not doesn't happen all the time and it's actually rare because uh only in super good quality habitat and very nutritious healthy animals your little doe fawns will come in so technically just to make a point uh last weekend went to bandera i was helping a buddy of mine shoot some does and this is a you know around january 10th and he'd been done in his uh 5,000 acre you know whitetail pasture that's strictly for native games carrying capacity the best habitat you could probably strive for what part of texas is this i was in the hill country bandera mm-hmm. yeah flying a ranch. Bandera, okay. good friend of mine manages that ranch incredibly incredibly awesome place but just long as he's he's been done with harvest he's got his done they do it right and uh we're driving out i was like hey man there's 140 class deer standing right on the side of the road you know i mean just right there which is odd for that place and uh we just stopped and backed up and sure enough there's he was standing with a little a little doe phone still a little doe phone yeah so that's probably the first time she came in estrus oh she just now came in and, and like i said i've seen i've seen little in places in south texas i've seen bucks with fawns chasing little doe fawns you know into march you know february for sure that's just what it doesn't happen a whole lot most of the time if they're breeding this late in your own native range or most of the time they're breeding a, a doe that didn't get bred the first or second cycle and it could be something wrong with her where could she doesn't take it it could yeah. be it could be lots of things that's where it goes back to bad nutrition nutrition it can delay breeding same as sex ratio maybe maybe she did come in but just didn't get bred and so so you have these these matriarchal groups kind of these family groups of does uh then you have these seasonal groups yeah seasonal groups and bachelor herds that's what i talked about we kind of when i say seasonal group i think mainly a bachelor group or bachelor so you know after the buck loses his antlers and he starts growing his antlers again when they're in velvet they kind of buddy up and it's been my experience like it's usually they'll they'll get in little bachelor groups or they make buddies and most of the time it's usually like a two-year-old and a one-year-old or a three-year-old and a two-year-old or a four and a three uh year old that that buddy up you know they have a buddy that licks them you know or whatever the males do while they're uh, while they're in velvet they're even? in velvet yeah while they're in velvet like i've videoed them and watched them in the summertime and there'll be three or four of them laying around you know and they'll, they'll be mixed ages so that's when i say seasonal groups that's what i'm talking about a bachelor hurt yeah the back to the velvet and all that being 
depending on the day length and all that stuff, and even like the testosterone production being tied to to day length and that type of thing. Back when I did cancer research at Scott and White years ago, I kind of started a little research study involving uh, liver cancer and uh, melatonin production, mm-hmm. where there's a, there's there's data that shows that that people who work in shift work, like you know, you may work nights and then days, nights and then days, and it kind of throws off your your circadian rhythm, you know, that there's higher incidences of cancer. And so I was looking into that and, and come to find out melatonin, which is a lot of people take it to go to sleep at night, mm-hmm. is, you know, especially now, a lot of people take it and it, it's supposed to be a very potent um, antioxidant. Mm-hmm. And it's produced by a little pineal gland that's right between your eyes. Uh, and it's a hormone that's only produced when you sleep in darkness. Yes. And it, it detoxifies your body. It, it puts you, it helps you to sleep. It does all these things. And we'll get to that when we get to the antler side, because that melatonin is a key chemical. Talking about the pineal gland, which is like the little eye. Yes. For that, that does the photopeer, but then tied to the pituitary gland. Mm-hmm. But melatonin is, I don't know that I'll have to get back, but melatonin is a key crucial chemical in the antler cycle. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that could be about. that could be what ties the day link. Yes, I'm sure it does with the pineal gland. And yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I worked on that study for a year there at Scott and White, and it I, man, it got really interesting. And we had a kid. Me and my wife had our first kid, mm-hmm. and it got to where I just I, I couldn't do the job anymore with the drive that it was, and for what we were getting paid. So so I ended up leaving, and this this medical student comes in and takes over my research. And she got to travel all over the world uh, to different meetings and stuff with the data that, that, that she carried on to get from that research really? study with that cholangiocarcinoma and uh, uh, melatonin. Oh, babe. Yeah, and liver disease. I, I don't. It's been, man, 20 years ago now or so. But, it, but it, you know, you go to talking about day length and light and darkness and all, it's very important for lots of things, oh, especially yeah. this deer stuff. It's what, it's what triggers everything. I mean, it makes flowers bloom. It makes bees. I mean, without photo period you know blooming of flowers and so i mean that's pretty critical for human beings or any 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 living creature we know we talked about a while ago how uh uh, they changed they they put these deer in these artificial light situations and it changed their whole antler growth and all that Mm -hmm. like think about if electricity never would have been invented and we were still sleeping in darkness and and awake in the daytime like i wonder how different even human nature would be oh yeah i'm yeah, like what if me and you were sitting right here right now without the lights on in this room, you know, doing this like and and I mean who knows what all we that with us is affected. Oh, I know by it. by circadian rhythm that we don't even know about because there isn't any anymore. No, I got one kid at home. He can't sleep without a light on. Like, I mean, he has he turns his lamp on and he goes to sleep and it stays on all night. Well, I do think you know our our ancestors were were very much more in tune to the environment. Like they probably knew when a hurricane was coming. Probably, you know, they, I don't know. But in my mind, I don't think they just got totally blindsided. You know, they yes. probably knew that something was happening. I think that they were, because probably they were, you know, their circadian rhythm was kind of the way that we were, that uh, I think that they were very in tune to their environment. You know, my grandma tells this story. She she grew up in a small community outside of, of Cameron, uh, where me and Chancey are from, uh, called Ben Arnold. And uh, she talks about, how her dad 
was responsible for first getting electricity out to where they lived out there and how nobody, like they had to have so many signatures or so many people sign up for electricity mm. to get service to your area. Sure. And how he could not get anybody to sign up for this electricity <laughs> because nobody wanted those wires running all over their house. Yeah. And she said she'll never forget the day that they finally got enough signatures and the first time they ever turned that light on above their kitchen table and how everything looked so different. And her mom made her dad replace the kitchen floor because it didn't. they didn't know it looked so bad. <laughs> oh, man, that's yeah. funny. But if you think about that, like, I mean, think about it. I mean, candlelight was the brightest thing that you had. And then you got, all of a sudden a you got. Oil. Imagine how much things have changed, like, since, like, just without, with, speak, golly. We take so much this, for granted. This is yeah. so off topic <laughs> yeah. again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I do want to make, since we talk about that, yeah, we're probably in the 30 minutes already. But um, one thing that's cool about antler side. I've heard like a lot of cancer developers or cancer research does a lot of stuff about deer and antlers because it's the fastest growing tissue that we know of. Or and it's of the, all based on day length. One of the fastest growing tissues. I mean, think about, like I said, a buck can grow a full set of antlers in basically 100 days, you know, roughly something like that. So, yeah. I mean, imagine the if whole, there's like limb regeneration and all kinds of different things that could be studied with that. Yeah, Possibly. To be honest. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows? That is, that, I mean, that truly is unique. Very much. Very much. All so right, so. female offspring herds, you know, <laughs> bachelor groups. Uh, so. Uh, Chancy, you got to quit distracting me with all this stuff. <laughs> uh, and so, so back to uh, female offspring herds. They're there, you know, the matriarchal groups. You know, we could probably move on from there. They have their phones, you know, when season comes and the phones they lay around for 10 days to two weeks generally with these does how long can they breed while we're talking while we're on the on the topic of these does how many for how many years are they good for oh a long time a long time i mean they can live longevity 14 to 20 years but on average is two to three years in the wild with predation or whatever for males specifically but i know 10 plus years old they can continue to breed and so the does could live so much longer than bucks because they stay in a group yeah. And, and, and there's a lot less risk. I mean, if you've ever been out and you, you've tried, like, we do a lot of, like, thermal hog hunting at nighttime or something, and you see those the hogs mixed with the, the, the group of the does and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and you crunch one little leaf. Yeah. And all those does look up at you, and then they're gone. And uh, and the hogs chase them off and all that kind of stuff, too. Whereas whereas you got a buck that's chasing a doe. I guess the I guess is what I'm trying to say is, the males don't live near as long because of this this bachelor type of a, of a what's the word I'm looking but, for no, here. No, I think what you're trying to get at is so okay. Talking about buck to doe ratios and falls in utero. You know what's technically you think it's one to one buck to doe ratio, but there's some stuff that says it's skewed more towards uh, males. There's a lot of data that suggests that there's actually might be 55 percent bucks, 45 percent does that hit the ground, mm-hmm. but a year later. It's ratios skewed back towards does, and that's because little boys get into more trouble. I mean, because think about the the little bucks, the mama will run those little bucks off. She will make drive them out of the country, and when she drives them off, it's a very dangerous time for a little, you know, 18-month-old or, you know, 20, 20-month-old little fawn, or I'm sorry, a young buck. It's a very dangerous time for them because predation, you know, they got to travel cross rivers. They're trying to set their up their home home range whereas the same thing your bucks after the rut they're not in those bachelor groups and after the rut winter time they're still kind of solitary they've been run down we've all deer hunted before you know you can get by 
a lot of movement if it's just one buck out there feeding. He puts his head down, you can move. You can draw back on him. You can get ready into position. But if you got a matriarchal group of does out there, and there's six or seven eyes moving up and down, it's a whole lot harder to move. So sure. generally, you know, predation is mostly on your bucks. Not mostly, but it's they're more skewed. Predation happens more to bucks, especially late season when they run down. Like we talked about nutrition, run. You down. have that issue. There's less eyes out there, and they run down at the worst time of the year. Yeah, so that's why it can skew back towards females right then. Mm-hmm. Sure, that makes sense. These deer, they're also, you know, I guess you're speaking of uh, predation and 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 movement of these deer. Well, they're they're crepuscular. Yes, in movement. Crepuscular. That basically, that just means that they're active, most active in general. In the mornings and evenings. Mm-hmm. So you got diurnal, which means you're active in the daytime most of the time, which theoretically lets us, you know, we're not adapted to see well at night. Uh, then you've got nocturnal, which, you know, like you owls and things like that, your classic nocturnal. But crepuscular is just a term. It means you're mostly active mornings, evenings. That's not to say that deer ain't active at night or in the middle of the day because we all know they are and we've seen them. But in general, activity and deer is most abundant during those times i kind of feel that way too <laughs> i got the most energy when i wake up in the morning and right before right in that right once the sun starts to set just a little bit in the evenings you know you pick up a little second wind there yeah you do yeah and they talk about that two to four slump how like from two o'clock to four o'clock is the hardest time of the day to get anything done yeah. you just feel drained yeah right after lunch like right after lunch the then you got that too or whatever you're oh yeah about the, the, the tryptophan in turkey sure <laughs> yeah. yeah i never forgot about that lunch already, is hard on us. yes it is indeed it is but these so these deer they they typically uh they will move how far like in so they're in moving mostly hour, in the in the mostly moving mostly in the morning and the afternoon yeah or within a 24 hour hour movement range mostly but i mean like i said they'll move in the daytime but generally They'll move within, you know, one and a half to three miles within a 24-hour period. You know, even the does, you know, just in general. In one direction, or do they kind of go just back? Just throughout their habitat, you know. Mm-hmm. What we said, you know, their home range in general, two to 300 acres. Well, within a 24-hour period, they may move up to a mile and a half or three miles, depending on the season, what time of year. You know, the doe may travel more during fawning season back and forth to check on our phones you know or get more water so it just depends but that's just some some general general stuff out there uh the little males generally like we said when that doe starts running her male offspring off and like we said the little doe fawns stay with the stay with the matriarchal groups generally those little males you know they can they can disperse as far as six miles away Back to how far they do travel like you said it goes back to those environmental factors that we talked about before habitat yeah quality of habitat all those different things and so uh so and these males will go a whole lot farther than what those what the uh doe will in order to to breed and do different things like that sure generally it's you know the male home range is twice what a female's is like i said that varies from as little as 150 acres in really good habitat to as much as 1500 acres out you know in dry climates with little water and everything that home range is it really does depend on, on many variables. But generally, as a kind of a rule of thumb, a male's home range is about twice that of what a doe's is. Okay, and that's that's all tied again to uh, to sex ratios. And uh, and and due to this, this short period of, of breeding season, that ratio is very important. Yeah, for, absolutely. For that reason, uh, because they won't they won't cycle on forever. No, they won't cycle because of photo. Within this constraints of photo period. Way up north in Michigan, I don't know if I talked about this already, but Michigan, Saskatchewan, stuff like that, the breeding season is generally pretty narrow. Mm-hmm. But as further south you go, it's 
it's a lot more broad and latitude for change there. So in our neck of the woods, you know, we would like them, you know, we would want the does bred within by her third estra cycle for sure. But it's not to say that if she wasn't, she could cycle up to seven times within the constraints of the photo period. And this ratio. We don't ever want that to happen in our temperate area, whereas in the tropics, it probably does happen. And they this just come in whenever. Sure, and this ratio goes all the way back to your herd health, I guess you would say, and the health of your habitat because because uh, this, this buck-to-doe ratio is all affected by what's being born if it's in a one-to-one ratio. And a lot of times in a bad habitat, it starts to skew toward more male babies. Yeah, there's a lot of data that suggests that, Brad, and I, that just goes with what blows my mind and why I love wildlife and nature just never ceases to amaze me but there's a lot of data that suggests i think verm did a lot of or verme i'm not sure how you pronounce it in the 80s that suggest that in poor quality conditions like bad habitat and you know and even it i think it just happens in general too but he also found that suggests that those that have poor quality tend to have a lot more buck fawns and buck fawns tend to travel farther and disperse and disperse they so disperse think about it they leave about, your habitat they leave their habitat to set up new habitat you know and dispersal group whereas if the quality of habitat's not good most of the time it's carrying capacity limiting factor issue so if the carrying capacity if you have more fa- does those phones those does ain't going to leave those little matriarchal groups you're going to sit tight and hang with mama you know for that's you know like i said we said ants and siblings and little does are all together whereas the little bucks move and so he suggested you know they don't know it's a hypothesis you know i think there's some legitimacy to it that that poor quality habitat has more buck falls that way they disperse and don't put as much pressure continue to put pressure on the habitat that's nature taking care of a problem yeah it is yeah disease drought everything nature will find a way isn't that something mm-hmm. so and it's, i guess it's also important to to point out you know we just talked about the the ratio of males being born to females but also one doe could breed to multi, to, to two different bucks because typically your first your youngest doe i guess will typically their first one will be just a single baby yes so like back to the little doe phones coming in one of the things that we as managers and biologists and anybody that's interested in deer look at when they go shooting their does if they shoot a yearling like a one and a half year they, they look at lactation rates period across all does that are harvested lactation rates tell you a lot they tell you number one if that doe got bred and number two if she was carrying a fawn recently if she's lactating in the fall you know when you shoot her so it tells you it helps you with your fawn crops you know you know shot 100 does and all 100 of them were lactating that means that you had a 100 percent fawn crop sure um but in general if you have a one and a half year, a yearling deer that's lactating, that means she got bred as a fawn. So we look at that to give us a good idea of our herd health. If you got a, if a lot of your one and a half year olds are, get, are lactating when you shoot them, if, if you shoot them, you know, a lot of people, it's hard even for people that watch deer all the time to age does. Mm-hmm. Very hard. But you can usually kind of tell a young doe from an old one, you know. Sure. But uh, if, if, you know, by chance you shoot some one and a half year old does, and they're breeding, you know, that they were bred as a fawn. And usually that first baby that they have is always a single. And then after that, kind of twins are the rule. And they can have, you know, not happen all the time, but they can have triplets as well. And they can be sired by different daddies. Kind of like what we were saying, the who breed home stuff sure. when they're fighting. So you might have twins, like we said, the, the doe lays her babies, and she might have twins, but they can have two different sires. So that's why we said if the only good ones are out there breeding, or if only good ones are out there, then only good ones are breeding. That's right. Very important yeah. to take care of that for that reason. Yeah. And in my 
what I believe, mom and baby first. Again, I know I'm going to keep harping on that, but nutrition for our babies and does is critical. And you know, while you're on the point of it, with the doe, if you're going to harvest doe, it's probably best to do it at the beginning of the deer season in order to keep your bucks from running down on a doe that, that you're eventually going to harvest anyway, huh? Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, and it's hard, you know, in the constraints of hunting seasons and everything, but now we've got MLD programs that give hunters lots of latitude and landowners, you know, to have longer seasons or shoot more animals. But but in a perfect world, if you could get your doe harvest before the rut, that that's, that's great. You know, get all your does shot and killed. Before the rut, I mean, either way, whenever you do it, say you kill a two- or a three-year-old doe, you're still taking out three deer, you know, more than likely because twins are the rule after two or three years old. And so in quality habitat, she should raise most of those babies, you know. You should have good fawn crops, you know, at least, say, 50 to 75%. Absolutely. That's what you're hoping for, at least, you know. But in really wet years and really good and where predation's not a limiting factor, you know, she can have a hundred, you can have a hundred percent fawn crop. Mostly all, again, back to those environmental factors. Yes, yeah, because my thing, late barn fawns do not do as well. They just don't. Well, it's just like cattle. If you have a calf in the summertime, whenever there's nothing there for the mama to eat to produce milk, there's, uh, it's hot, all the temperatures are off, you have all these different problems, they're never going to do as good as a calf that was born in the spring or in the fall. Mm-mm. Because just simply because of the fact that there's there's and I guess that just proves to you how important nutrition is to and a, a doe while she's uh, pregnant and and lactating and lactating. Yes, that's I mean, a hard. That's probably the hardest nutritional drain on a on a doe is when she's lactating. For correct? sure, especially on a young young doe. Yes. So think about so like with bucks. Say a buck is. I'm sure it holds true with does as well. But for the most part, a buck is physiologically mature. At four and a half years old, he's, that means his long bone growth is done. His his skeletal system, his ribs, his long bone growth is done. Well, antlers are bone. That's all they are. Calcium, phosphorus, they're not, I shouldn't say, they're, they're bone basically, but they don't have marrow in them. Right. So, theoretically, you know, a buck is growing. It's having to take calcium and phosphorus and other energy to, to body growth, as well as grow antlers at the same time. And technically, after four and a half energy and calcium phosphorus into his long bone growth, he can put all of that into antler growth. So that's where you see your best antlers at? Generally, and I mean, it's hard to say everything's different, but that is a rule of thumb. Well, back to nutrition yeah. and stuff. Back, if all yeah. factors are the same. Back in my opinion, and this is my opinion, deer grow exponentially, exponentially, till they get about five. A lot of times, four and a half to five-year-old on good nutrition and they don't get injured is a big jump. A good jump. I've seen them grow 50 inches plus in, in that one year, four and a half to five. Wow. And then after that, it's up and down, up and down, up and depending down. Depending on the. Depending on fighting, depending on ratios, depending on drought, depending on everything, you know. There's a lot of data to suggest in general, yeah, probably seven and a half. But my thing, it's up and down, up and down, up and down. Sure. Yeah, you you After go to taking five. you go to taking the age factor out of it, yeah. and then it's just all environmental, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, they've at that got point. they've got good years and they've got bad years. Absolutely, and it depends on what happened to them. You know, if they were injured that previous fall, can set them back that spring when they start growing. Our tooth wear as they start getting older and their teeth start wearing out makes it a little harder to nutrition, eat. Nutrition, nutrition. So yes, yeah, that's supplemental feeding becomes important again. There, yes, gets a little harder to to to, to 
to browse and graze without teeth. Mm-hmm. And so now, so I guess it's important to mention while we're on the topic about gestation being about a about seven months. Yeah. So if we have a breeding r- about a month or two ago, well, seven months later they have a baby. Yeah, and you know, we say seven months, two hundred ten days, but the actuality is just like people. It's somewhere in that neighborhood of one hundred eighty-seven to two hundred twenty-one days. You know, not every woman has a baby at exactly nine months right you know sometimes it's a couple weeks before or maybe a week after just deer same way you know in that 187 220 day just say seven months 210 days you know that's that's their gestation period sure and these babies are born then you know around like you said uh may or june may june here yeah and in south texas especially western south texas july and they have these little spots on them yep the babies do yeah but they don't stay forever no, they're born, you know, the babies are born, and they have the ability to do, I don't know, we may have mentioned, but they can lie completely motionless. They have, they're born with very, very, very little scent, very little scent, and they've got these spots on them, so their cryptic can kind of blend in and camouflage, and generally, those spots go away when the fawns lose their first set of hair. Basically, they molt. That happens in the fall, and most of the time, that's when they're weaned. A little fawn. It's kind of coincidentally that all that goes together like that. It seems almost like, like spots they go made, away, they're weaned <laughs> off, and now the mamas are. It's time for them to breed again. Back in, and then the baby. The if it's like you said, if all the factors are right, you have a good habitat. Well, even these little wean, these little weanlings. Yeah, they could come in if it's really good habitat. They could come in. Yeah, they sure can. Like I said, just last week in Bandera, we saw a buck standing with a little a little doe fawn. You know, and that little doe fawn was probably born in June. You know, something like that. So they probably won't have the best baby that first time. No, they won't. And even if they, they of course, they're having won't. one baby and not two for that reason. Yeah, they're not only that, but also you got to think they're still growing too. It's it's a sign of. Uh, of good proper nutrition herd health but that's not to say it's not like all your phones are getting bred you know i mean a handful of them are probably getting bred i doubt me well i don't know in really good quality you i've, I've seen you know several 18 yearling does that are lactating you know when we go to skin them sure but what's neat about it that just goes to talk because they're always talking about well god i can't kill my does the little bucks do or the little phones it's too early you know they're gonna die uh, can't shoot the does and you know well that's right if you're dependent on mama's milk and mama dies well that's not good for you but in general now like i said i'm general you know i hate to say it depends but there's a lot of generality in wildlife you know in general a little fawn can survive after two and a half months old two and a half months old it can actually eat and browse and ruminate that is really quick yeah and in general mama she doesn't wean them that early but she generally will wean them in three to four months. And she'll run the little bucks off. but she'll the little, run, uh, She won't run those little bucks off right away. But generally that's like I've seen little buck phones still kind of hanging around in January, February, you know. But generally that following when she starts coming into getting close to having babies or that spring, you know, we're not observing. Them. She runs those little bucks off, runs them smooth out of the country, disperse them. But she'll let the females, the little doe phones hang around. That's why we say back to those matriarchal. They're generally weaned by three to four months old. That's is there why. a bunch of line breeding that goes on with deer? Is there a lot of inbreeding that goes on with that? I don't or? think so. That's why, you know, a lot of the case for the does running the bucks off is that right there to keep to keep that from happening. Just This is more of a management thing that we'll talk to, but I just want to make this comment, and this is going to – I hope somebody don't tell you, but if you want, like we talk about bucks dispersing, and you've been managing your herd, and you've got to kill does anyway – it's really 
nothing wrong, in my opinion, with targeting does with buck fawns. You got to kill does anyway. Yes. Why not? And, and say bucks, and you need to change ratios, and you won't own your place. You target does with buck fawns, then she's not there to run them off. So generally, and I know this for a fact, you shoot does with buck fawns, those bucks don't disperse. They just kind of hang around. Oh. Yeah. And then, so, but then I guess... Well, of course, it's a matriarchal I mean, family, so linear breeding still happens there. I guess so, but not sure. a not a not a, a first generation kind of thing like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, so too. I mean, I, I've known that and seen firsthand. You know, shoot a doe that had a buck phone, and that little buck phone just kind of stayed right there, and he that was his home range. I mean, we ended up shooting him when you know, he was seven years old, and. He lived right there, right there I with know, all of them. Yeah, I know for a fact because I watched him for seven years, and he he had a real unique characteristic. And I shot his mama, and uh, he just hung around. He had a new, real unique characteristic about having like a mane that was solid black. Even when he was falling, he had a black tail. We named him Black Mane Tail. Yeah, we ended up shooting him when he was seven. He just kind of stabbed me. When it got rut, we'd see him way across, you know, we're far off. But he'd always come back to that little area he was when he was a fawn. Man, you couldn't think of a shorter name? <laughs> yeah. Man, Chancey, that's a mouthful. Yeah. Did I just call him BMT? Or? <laughs> Should have. And golly, buddy, yeah, that, that's an hour-long conversation there. <laughs> but uh, uh, so – I guess, Chansey, that I don't know if we covered everything. As many sidetrack conversations we got started on there. I'm sure we'll probably listen back to this and find something that we, we forgot to mention this or that or whatever. Probably could have possibly missed. But, but reproduction-wise, is there anything that we need to be doing right now? Reproduction-wise, what I said earlier, we need to be thinking about mama and baby. Think mama and baby first. Antlers will come later. Most important thing is so right now, like the hunting season's over. A five-year-old buck deer, his maximum potential is starting right now. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, because you think about it, he hadn't lost his antlers yet, and he hadn't started growing. But if you want him to get there, you want him to make it there. You don't want him to die in February or March because it's very, very hard time. Hunting's over with, so it's a good idea if. Uh, it's in your management goal and in your plans to start feeding right now a good high quality supplemental feed that way those bucks can be super healthy when when the spring rains and everything comes and gets them you know when that time comes they can start rebuilding body tissue and body mass right now so right now is a good time to be supplemental feeding as well as your does because your does should be bred right now all those young mamas are carrying fetuses right now they're having to grow those fetuses if they're a young mama they're having to grow as well so what do they need they need protein yes and and especially this year in particular as bad a quality as the habitat is we mentioned with the cold weather and whatnot well and this just goes back to that right there like remember mentioned when we're doing food so yeah oats and wheat are out there but what's going on with oats and wheat this time of year if they don't get a cold snap and turn them brown most of the time you're oat by this time of year your oats and wheat are tall enough. They, now. they don't really the like deer, them that much. You're not seeing deer out in open wheat fields. No, right you now, sure unless don't. Unless there's so many that they're keeping it cropped. Mm-hmm. Now, if they're keeping it cropped, they don't they like that old growth. No, once it starts getting about this time of year, when it starts getting eight inches, ten inches tall, the deer stop using it. So that's not a food source for them anymore either. Had a frost that killed a lot of our little uh, forbs that were out there. Now, now I'm not talking about wildflowers. A lot of them have you know antifreeze in them, and they can take the cold weather, but. There's not much food out there that's high energy, high nutrition from deer standpoint right now. No, there's not. So that's why they have to rely on browse, the twigs, leaves, and twigs off woody plants. So right now, 
they might be out in the field trying to get those cold forbs out there, but if they got smoked or whatever, killed, they're relying on browse and eating brush right now. So uh, nutrition is very, very, very extremely important right now. And that's a whole other topic. Yeah, but very important. If if deer are in your mind and your management plan and you like deer um, and it's in your means to supplemental feed and you have that ability, right now is a good time to get it out. It's very important to do, especially if you buy your feed from us at Cameron Farm and Ranch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So, yeah, but to be honest, I, I, I mean, this is by no means a sales pitch. No, but but we've, had a, we've had a couple of customers last year who started feeding deer protein all year yeah. long. And they this year they said, man, they said there's no comparison to to what we had last year compared to what we have this year. Yeah, well, and that's another thing. Just since we're on this topic, real quick, I'll give you my opinion on supplemental feeding, and that's all it is, and it's not worth not much, but my opinion. Supplemental feeding is just why we said it's a supplement to a healthy, quality habitat. Take care of mama, baby first. Make sure there's plenty of fawn and cover, good, adequate nutrition. Supplemental feed can help. In general. I don't think they need supplemental feed year-round. I don't. I think they need it from January to August, you know. From the time it. from the time they bred to the time they wean their baby. Yeah, until the time they end of, end of rut, stress time for bucks, fix and start growing their antlers. Because you got to think, so many times we're talking about supplemental feeding for just bucks, but you need to be thinking about mama and baby again. So that's really your window. And another reason, too, because, say harvest. If your supplemental feed and you got supplemental feed out there year-round, and you're trying to kill deer, well, guess what? You know, generally, I don't like shooting deer at supplemental feed because I want them to think just come and go and go and go. Well, if you got, you know, uh, generally come hunting season, all we feed is corn, basically. Sure. As an attractant. And I yes. know that sounds bad to other people in other countries, but we feed it as an attractant a lot. And there are some places that do feed year-round, but if you've got a lot of deer to kill or if you need to harvest, say, 20 does or something, it's a lot easier to kill them when there's not supplemental feed out there and they're coming to corn. A lot easier to attract them. It's a lot easier to attract them. And yes. then, yeah, I never thought about it from that aspect. Yeah, I mean, think about it. I mean, if you're eating, for, if you got to eat sardines, you know, because corn's not much on pro. It's got 8% protein, something like yeah, that. Yeah, 7%, it's like fast I think. food, high energy. They'll eat it. They're not getting much off corn. So definitely don't feed corn well, for supplemental feed. Especially deer, with it, like we talked about being the the fast-paced ruminant that yes. they are. They, corn is an energy source. It's mm-hmm. a carbohydrate for them. They're just not getting anything protein-wise out of them. Not, you know, so supplemental feed's important, but uh, from a hunting standpoint, you know, you can probably – and, and monetary budget-wise standpoint, too, you can probably get by without, as long as your carrying capacity is good and everything's in sync, you can probably get by without feeding supplemental feed year-round, but definitely start thinking about feeding it from January to August. Well, that's another episode, Chancey. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's yes. a whole lot we could talk about. I, I might argue Chancey's point there a little bit on oh. only doing it a certain time of the year because he's <laughs> yeah. costing me a lot of money. So be quiet, Chancey. <laughs> oh. That's all until we have time for today. Chancey, I was agreeing with you wholeheartedly, buddy, until we got to this little segment of the show here. <laughs> well, Golly, no, you I gotta can fi- feed your And mouth. I got to feed my kids, too, Chancey, yeah. so keep your mouth shut over there. And buddy. you can. There's lots of people that do feed your No, I, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I know. Yeah, yeah. we need to 
to save money wherever we can, and that's a good way to do it. But uh, I guess that is kind of all we have time for today. I believe. Where are we at? How long? Uh, we're at an hour and two minutes already, an bud. Hour and two. Well, we didn't go an hour. We covered everything from cancer research to deer reproduction to so how the grid got electricity. And <laughs> yes, back in Ben Arnold, Texas. Yeah. Yes, we sure did. And I can tell lots more stories about her that's that she good told stuff. me. Oh yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, in back. It makes you just realize how blessed and how what we take for granted. Well, she said her dad used to carry a ladder in his in his in their car because if the phone line was down, uh-huh. like you had to get out and fix it because yeah. like like you couldn't call like somebody and then them come out and fix it like you were responsible for it so it broke you fixed it. I mean, yeah. whatever happened to those days, man? Oh, kid, we take so much for granted. You get sued now if you touch probably the phone line or anything like that. Sure would. Yeah, people knew how to make take care of themselves back then man they knew how to make a living and were very independent and there's another episode (laughs) but let's uh let's call it quits on that today i guess chancy all right brad as always i enjoyed it man hopefully we covered everything y'all i know we were across the board but i think we hit on the big ones well yeah i think so too and uh hopefully you have a good 2022 yes until next time y'all thanks a lot for listening hey it's good talking to y'all today guys and i hope you'll have a great uh week and we'll talk to you uh here in the near future thanks and have a good day